Hey, before you're seated, I just want to acknowledge that God is growing us. Amen? Through the Holy Spirit and our focus on the message of the gospel. I also want you to know our, our, our mission. If you're here for the first time, you've been here your whole life, our mission is to love God, love people, and to serve all. And what that means for you today is you're loved. You're loved first by God and you're loved by your brothers and sisters here. So before you have a seat, I'm going to give you a little task if you feel up to it. Turn to someone and tell them you are loved. Go. You may be seated. Sometimes we just need to be reminded of that. It's truth. You need to hear that. If that's one thing you hear today, God loves you enough that he sent his son, Jesus, to die to be your savior. And he's alive and he's waiting to return. Man, that gets me excited about our mission, to love God, love people, and to serve all. At the start of 2020, God gave a new vision to this church. It was before we needed it. We really knew we needed it, but in the last two years, it's been amazing. This vision that hope changes everything, and it was something that has sustained us over the last two years. But as Ben already said, I am excited to tell you that it is by great prayer and planning that I believe God has given us not a new vision because the vision of hope is still here, but he has given us great guidance for the future. The staff and the elders and I went through a time of prayer and planning at the beginning of 2021. And we strongly feel uh, that God has given us a specific goal for this time in our lives and over the next three years. And it has been the goal of the church from the beginning. It's been God's will that we would grow that we just sang about. That we would grow personally, that we would grow as individuals, and that we would grow as a church. The vision of hope has pulled us through uh, significantly tough times. Uh, but over the last two years, there has not been a great sign of growth. And I believe we've never seen in Scripture that the church is to be stagnant or stationary. But God has called the church to move, to multiply, and to grow. And that's what we're set out to do for His glory and for the lives of those that are currently lost to be saved. We're going to unpack this grow concept over the next year in three main ways. We're going to grow out. You can see that pictured here. Uh, the, the growing out would be that the, the, the tree of life would, would grow out and more and more people would have salvation through Jesus. We're going to always be growing deep in, in our roots of, of spiritual development of following Christ. And we are going to grow young, sharing the hope with the next generation and the next generation. It's not something that uh, well, we do one and the other two support it, or we do this one and the other two support it. Uh, these three growth patterns are, are always active in the life of the church, and we see that in the book of Acts. We're going to see that today. Now, you may be more catered to one of these. You may be more of an evangelist where you're willing to grow out. You may be more of a, a, a studier of God's word. You're willing to grow deep. Uh, you may be more of that person that always loves to, to work in the children's ministry to share the hope of Jesus with the youngest. But all three of these are important and essential to the church. And God has given us this, this new strategy that was alive 2,000 years ago to be rebirthed within our church. And we're going to grow for the glory of Christ. I've been asked in the past, and some of you may be thinking about it now, Tyson, how, how do you plan to make the church grow? I don't. Jesus will. Amen? It is not my job as the pastor to, to muster up growth in the church. It's our job as brothers and sisters to Christ to be obedient to his word, to be working out his will according to the scripture, and Christ will build his church. And here's the cool part. You know what Jesus said about his building of the church? The gates of hell will not stand against it. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus says, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome, again, overcome it. Man, that should give you encouragement. 
when there's so much uncertainty in the world and so many things that we didn't know about two years ago, maybe even two months ago, God's church will not be overwhelmed by evil. Not just here in Greenville, but around the world, in the Ukraine, in Central America, right here in Bond County, the church is going to, to thrive. The Word of God says this in Psalms 127, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build labor in vain. We have to confess there are times, if we're not careful, we try to build things on our own might. And while there can be uh, touches of fruit, the the only way we really produce the harvest is if it's under God's blessing through his Holy Spirit, according to his will. Paul talks about this in 1 1 Corinthians. He says, man, I planted this seed and I I worked uh, my, my life here in service to the Lord. But you know what really made the church grow? He says this, and I quote Paul, it was God who made it grow. And that's what we're going to fall under as well. Did Paul work hard? Absolutely. Did Peter preach with passion? Yes, but it was the Holy Spirit who provided a fruit and a blessing and a multiplication. Turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. We are going to come into this new series and this strategy that God is leading us to grow, and we're going to follow the example of the church in Acts. If you've got a Bible around you, it's on page 910, and we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 2, starting with verse 37. Jesus had been uh, sharing with the disciples after his crucifixion. He rose from the dead. In Acts chapter 1, he spends time with them teaching. And then he ascends into heaven, and Peter preaches the first sermon. But what did he wait on to do that? He waited on the Holy Spirit. And they they were in the upper room, and they were gathered together during this time. And Jesus says, hey, don't move. Don't go anywhere until the Holy Spirit comes on you. And then when the Holy Spirit came, uh, Peter preached the, the gospel, the good news of Jesus, that Jesus died for all of us, that he was buried, that he arose, that that he's alive and he's coming again. And then we see what happens. It changes people's hearts, that message. In Acts chapter 2, verse 37, it says this, now when they heard this, the good news of Jesus, they were cut to the heart. And Peter said, and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what should we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, For the forgiveness of your sins. That's the first part of the promise. Here's the second. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and all who are far off. For everyone whom the Lord, our God, calls to himself. Here's the big part of church growth that sometimes we leave out, uh, that we've already emphasized, but I've got to uh, really lay the foundation with this. You know what really causes someone to come to the church, to, to come to salvation? It's a calling from God. Look what it says there. It says, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. The calling to receive Christ is essential. Jesus said this, no one comes to the Father except through me. That's that statement that salvation is only coming uh, through the name of Jesus and what Jesus has done for us on the cross. Jesus also says, no one comes to the Father unless he calls them. So you know who really is a part of the church? You know what the church is in general? The basics of the church here and around the world, it's people from the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit first came on the church and Peter preached that first sermon. It's, it's all of those people from then up until this moment right now who God has called and they have said, I will answer the call and accept Jesus as my Savior. It's not someone who just comes to church and sits in a pew. That, that they're not a part of the church officially. It's not someone who, who donates money. It's people who have answered the call from God to say, Jesus is my Savior. That's the church. And we've got to continue to, to spread that word about what Jesus has done for us. And God will call 
and bring to him those that he saves. It's a call to salvation. It's not a call to sitting in a pew. It's not a call to Christian dogma. It's not a call to do what we want, but to do God's will. Let me be clear. It's those who have been saved as a part of the church. Not those who look the same. Not those who are from the same political background or the same economic background. Uh, The church is made up of people who've answered the call for Jesus being their Lord and Savior. So notice what happens next in Acts. They were cut to the heart. It says in verse 40, And with many other words, Peter bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. What gets you into God's church is a response to the good news of Jesus saying, I believe that Jesus is my Lord and Savior, and I want to be made new in him through baptism, through immersion. And that is is all that we are pointing towards. It's not a country club. It's not an organization where we feel good about ourselves. It's a group of people that have been saved by the blood of Jesus. That's the church. And God is calling us to promote that, to, to grow that. 3,000 people were out of that first day. It exploded. And it's still growing. Many of you are part of that call. You've received that call. Uh, the call from God is something that we hear, and in that moment we realize we're a sinner headed to hell, honestly. There, there comes a point in everyone's mind where, where they need to realize that apart from Christ, we are not perfect, and there's no path to heaven apart from Jesus. But then the second part of the call is that Jesus loved us enough to save us, and, and we answer the call to accept him as our Savior and our Lord. Many of you are part of that. I just want to see by a show of hands how many have answered the call to accept Jesus as their Savior. Raise your hand. Many of you. Awesome. If you're here today and you're not sure you've done that, if you've not responded to to repentance and baptism and immersion, you can answer that call today. And in a moment, you can be forgiven and made pure like Jesus. Does that mean you've arrived? You're like Jesus on earth? No, but, but God sees you as forgiven and saved by grace. And the church continues to grow. That began to happen on the day of Pentecost. If we look at church history in this book of Acts, we see in chapter 2 there were 120 of them going into the day of Pentecost, believers. And they were to wait in this room together and pray. And then when the Holy Spirit came, they were to go out and be as witnesses. And then on that first day, it exploded from 120 to 3,000. And then look what it says in Acts chapter 2, verse 47. The Lord added to their number day by day those that are being saved. Man, that gets me excited that, that day by day, on a daily basis, people are saying, I trust Jesus for my salvation. There are times in history where that happens. Uh, just in last week's staff meeting, I uh, heard a report from Ben and from Tiffany and the, the Family Life Ministry that, that we believe uh, week by week, at least right now, there's going to be people being saved. And that gets me excited. But can you imagine a time again where daily we're, we're accepting people into the church by hearing their confession of faith in Jesus and being baptized? That, that's what happens in the church. It's what God is calling us to. To day by day be growing. Look, look at chapter 4. Many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of men that came, that came to about 5,000. So we're about a month into the church growing. And by chapter 4, just the men alone were about 5,000. And so let's double. Let's say that, uh, many of their wives would have accepted Christ and maybe some of their children. We're talking uh, 12, 13, 14,000 people who just a month earlier were 120. The church is exploding in growth. 
By what? The word going out. Look at chapter 5. More than ever believers were added to the Lord. Multitudes of both men and women. There's not even a number associated with here, but what it says is more than ever the church was growing. They were multiplying. The growth stopped being even counted with mere numbers. Look at verse, chapter 6, verse 7. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. And a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. This was a breakover from people who were just wanting to follow the Lord. These were former leaders of the Jewish faith. They were saying, we also believe that Jesus is the Lord and Savior. So these priests were now converting to Christianity. Look at chapter 12. The word of God increased and multiplied. The church was never meant to be stagnant or just get through a time. Well, I understand that the past two years have been difficult, and God has given us hope, guys. It is time to follow the example of the early church again and expect for God to do miraculous things among us and make his message increase rapidly. It doesn't just for this local church. It's churches on churches. Look at chapter 16. It says, the churches. The first part of Acts is about Peter's ministry in Jerusalem. By the time you get to 16, Paul is taking the message to church after church after church and city after city. And then it says the churches were strengthened in faith and grew daily in numbers. And it went from just a Jewish thing to a Gentile thing as well. Uh, For people from a history of Abraham to to people that didn't know God at all were accepting Christ. It went from uh, just a European region, uh, went to even Asia. It was expanding all over the world. You get to chapter 17, look what happens. Here's here's the background of this. Paul and Silas were going from place to place night after night. And it says uh, in Acts chapter 17 that in the middle of the night, they went to a place called Berea. In the middle of the night, Paul and Silas show up in Berea and they share the good news. Look what happens. Because of this, many of the Berean Jews believed. A number of important Greek women also became believers And so did many Greek men. In the middle of the night, these guys show up with a message. And people are like, I want in. I I believe in this. I've I've been looking for something uh, to change my life, to to, to really submit to, because I know that that I'm flawed. In verse 19, chapter 19, excuse me, verse 20, in the same way the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. That was in Ephesus. You know what the big thing about Ephesus was? It was a lot like America. It was a lot like the Internet. There were all these thoughts in Ephesus. Everybody had a plan for most things. There was all this supposed truth floating around. Paul shows up and says, here's the real truth, that that God loves you enough that he sent his son to die so you might be saved. That's the truth you need to know. And many of them responded to that simple truth in the midst of a world that says, I've got answers for everything. Uh, God says, I've got your real answer. It's Jesus. And the, the word of the Lord spread with great power. You can skip forward all the way to the end of the book of Acts, to Acts chapter 28. Paul had prayed about, he had planned to go to Rome, and he finally gets there, not knowing really what will happen. There was a thought that Paul would be imprisoned and maybe persecuted, if not put to death. But look what happens when he gets to Rome. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. And people in Rome began to believe. The church expanded and exploded on this simple good news message of Jesus crucified, risen, alive, and coming again. And people are like, we we believe, and many of you do. But here's my question. If we're going to be a part of that as well, how do we continue to have that type of uh, bold impact on our world? How can we continue to be a part of this vibrant growth plan of God? 
But one thing that's pretty obvious to me is we need to be sharing it. Let's just pause for just a second before we look at what the early church did to, to expand the growth of the church. Who have you shared the good news of Jesus with? Maybe 20 years ago. Man, I, I give you credit if you've ever done it. Do you know most believers never tell someone else that Jesus is the way to salvation? Have any of you, have any of you shared uh, the hope of Jesus with someone even this year, maybe this week? It's an amazing opportunity that many of us miss. But if we're going to be a vibrant part of God's growth plan, we've got to be sharing the gospel, the good news of Jesus. We're going to see that we will grow out. We will grow deep and we'll grow young. How did the early church do that? Let's look into this. The early church first grew out in this simple truth, and this is not going to be hard to understand. You guys can all get this. They grew out through the good news. I am all in favor of doing things to get people's attention, but you know what the message of the church is? The gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of him. Uh, I love uh, that well before I was thought of, there was a preacher here that started doing presentations down the screens like this, but he had a re reverse uh, presentation screen behind the baptistry where he showed images of the gospel and of, of, of stories of Jesus. And it's an amazing, it was well uh, thought of before the time. It was well ahead of the game. I love the fact that, that we have a full band for this service, and, and there, there's times when we just have hymns because we're trying to reach people with different desires. But here's the message. No matter what we're doing to reach people, it is about that Jesus uh, crucified, risen, and coming again. And in the early church, uh, they grew out by sharing that gospel. Because faith comes from hearing. Look what it says in Romans 10. Faith comes from hearing. That is, hearing the good news about Christ. We can complicate things, can't we? Today, I wish this sermon would be a little bit more entertaining at times, a little maybe, maybe a couple more laughs, and you'll know it's not there. I, I want to spend a day just getting back to the basics, that if we're going to reach the world, as people come to hear, we've got we've to be able to deliver the good news of Jesus. A faith, a, a saving faith, comes from hearing the good news that Jesus died for our sins. The methods can change, but our message in Christ does not. How many of you have ever had a bowl of Wheaties for breakfast? Okay, the first, first service, quite a few more. Uh, this generation is like, what's Wheaties? Okay. Honestly, raise your hand again. How many of you have ever had Wheaties? Uh, a number of you. What do you know about Wheaties? Oh, here, here's one thing I know. that the, What's inside the box, the flakes made from grain, haven't changed over the past like over 100 years. But what do they always change on the front of the box? The picture, the face. When, whenever I was a young boy, man, my favorite box had, had Larry Bird on it. Anybody know who Larry Bird was? Uh, then for a while, uh, if you're talking about basketball, it's March Madness right now. It had been like Michael Jordan now. It could be LeBron James or Steph Curry. Uh, it keeps changing. You don't keep putting Larry Bird on the box. But what they've realized, they, they will continue to change the method to get our attention, but what's inside has not changed. In much the same way and even a greater commitment, while we will adjust what we can attract people to, the message that we have to provide hope to the world that shows God's love is Jesus died for us and is alive, has overcome both sin and death. And we need to elevate that because it speaks to everyone. It doesn't change. His salvation is offered to male and female, young and old, rich and poor. Republican, Democrat, 
from the south, from the north, uh, uh, from the Midwest, from, from uh, across the world. The message of Christ crucified and risen is the message that there only brings salvation to all. So who have you shared that message with? The church grew through the message of the gospel, and it will continue to grow. The church not only grew through the good news, it grew out that way. The church also grew deep through its godly devotion. The early church grew deep through godly devotion, and it's really easy to see in Acts chapter 2. Just after 3,000 were saved, here's an automatic commitment to what they did. Look what it says. It's they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Four things are like, this is, these are four things we're going to do. We have salvation through Jesus. Now we're going to become more and more like him through commitment to this devotion. Here's what I want you to know. If you would receive Jesus today as your Savior and you would be born, you are saved if you would be born again. But God asks us to continue to grow, to grow deep. So, so what do we do? Do we, do we want to keep reaching out? Or do we need to grow deep first? And the answer is yes. We're going to grow deep as we reach out, as we also grow young. But the church immediately became committed to godly devotion. Look at the first one they were devoted to. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They wanted to be like Jesus, but Jesus was no longer with them. He had ascended into heaven. He had showed himself. And they're like, how can we become more like Jesus? Who, who do we need to listen to? The people that were with him. An apostle literally means someone that was with Jesus. They heard the teachings of Jesus. They heard uh, instruction, the prayers of Jesus. So they're like, we want to understand the apostles' teaching as much as we, we possibly can because that makes us more like Jesus. The unfortunate thing is we don't have apostles among us today. Anyone who lived with Jesus is now long gone. But what we do have are the apostles' teaching through his word. In his word, we even have more teachings of God beyond the apostles' teaching. And, and we, we are committed to be devoted, as they were to the apostles' teaching, we are committed to, to the keys of biblical truth if you go through our value statements, you may see them in the restroom. I was in the restroom this morning. Our value statements are on the wall. They're on our website. Uh, they're on many of your hearts. But the number one value statement the elders committed to two years ago is this. We value biblical truth. In, in a world that has all these questions, in a world uh, that often is, is hurting with the lies of evil, when we go back to biblical truth, that is going to be our anchor. And we're committed to that. Here's what we know about the Bible from 2 Timothy 3, it says this, All Scripture, or the Bible, is God-breathed. It is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. We need to commit to the devotion of God's Word. And what does that mean? Here's where it gets tough. You're like, oh, I love the Bible. What, what happens when the Bible goes against your wants and your wishes? The Bible wins. The Word of God wins. What happens when, when the Word of God kind of counteracts your, uh, your vision for your life? The Word of God has to win. What happens when, when the Word of God goes against what the world is saying is true? The Word wins. And we need to commit to that. It's going to get real messy uh, unless we commit to that in your own personal life and as a church. Just this week, I don't know if any of you follow me on social media, uh, I learned some tough lessons this week. Uh, arguing with the world doesn't get you anywhere, but proclaiming Christ will, will win uh, for his glory. 
We're not to argue about what's right and wrong, about all the details of the world. I think we need to promote Christ and let it lay as the truth. We need to elevate Jesus and him king. One thing I've noticed is that when we start arguing about details, we almost become like lawyers, making our case, defending this position, defending this position. One thing I know about the word of God and Jesus Christ is the lion. He does not need defended or argued for. He just needs promoted and let out of his cage. The word of God reigns supreme, and Christ can handle any argument that comes against him. So we just need to elevate him and trust. Because the hope of Christ is for every person, male and female, Every person in the world must hear it. We must elevate his message, not try to defend every nuance. The church not only grew out of this good news of growing deep, but it also grew out of this devotion, this biblical truth. It also grew out of fellowship. There was a commitment. They they devoted themselves to fellowship. This is the pursuit of life together in unity. Who doesn't want community and unity and to be able to be with other people? Now, some of you may like, I'm better off alone. But as a core, we realized how poor of, uh, of a plan it was for us to be alone. In the early church, they committed to fellowship. And it was more than just being together around a meal. Sometimes we think fellowship is just about a meal. Guys, it's about living life together. It's about knowing people's needs. It's about being there for them when they're hurting. And the early church was committed to this fellowship. It was called koinonia. That's the Greek word for this. And it's a true spiritual fellowship when brothers and sisters unite, not just in a building, but in life, and they bring glory to God through their worship. They bring glory to God through their their work. They bring glory to God through fulfilling God's will, and he receives glory. And you know what happens when the church is together in fellowship, whether it's in this place of worship or at your house on a Saturday night when you're hurting? God receives the glory. There's a big difference of going through something alone and almost being overwhelmed, if not overwhelmed, than than in fellowship with the brothers and sisters in Christ and having joy no matter what takes place. I've sensed the joy of our fellowship and worship growing as we become more and more committed to gathering together. This fellowship is spurred on by nothing else other than the Holy Spirit. It's 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 a relationship and a gathering from the Holy Spirit that produces joy And that's why the author of Hebrews highlights it. Look what it says. Let us hold unswervingly. It says, don't go right or left. Stay focused on this to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together. He goes, hey, one of the core uh, values to this that we've got to gather together. We've got to meet together as many in the habit of doing. But encourage one another. All the more as you see the day approaching. What day is this? The the day where Jesus returns. We we see evidence. There's things happening in in the war in Ukraine. There's things happening in our own uh, government. There's things happening in our our world's culture that point to the fact Jesus is going to return. And as you see the need for Jesus to return and that upon us, he says, make sure you're gathering all the more. Not just in this place, but in your homes in your workplaces, uh, on, on, on the telephone, be in communication, be, be gathering, be, be seeing how you can support and encourage one another. Guys, it's essential that we gather together in every, any and every way we can. And in that, Jesus shines through us. I want to speak to you at home right now. 
If you're watching online right now and you may be like, I still can't gather, you need to be being still built up and building someone up. This idea that we can live in isolation is a lie from Satan. We need to support one another. So if you're hurting and you feel alone, let us know this week. If you know someone that has been home for a long time and maybe they're still not uh, gathering support, we need to be praying for them. We need to be reaching out. Because you know what happens when we're alone? We get picked off one by one by one by the evil one. So they focused on fellowship. They also focused on the breaking of bread. As following in fellowship, a lot of times we think, well, this is sharing meals together, which there's a high value in sharing meals together. That is one of the reasons we have brought back Wednesday night meals. If you haven't made it to a Wednesday night meal, join us this week at 545. Uh, Last week, we had such a large gathering, we had to spill over to the gymnasium. I love that. But having a meal together is not exactly the full extent of what he's talking about here. I believe he's talking about the breaking of bread that we share, not only in meals, but in specifically communion. Because this directive comes directly from Jesus. Look what it says in 1 Corinthians. Paul says, For I received from the Lord, they also passed on to you. Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. In just a few moments, we're going to do this. In fact, we do it every week. If you're new here, one of the things that will happen every week will be sharing and breaking of the bread and sharing of the cup to remember Jesus, to proclaim his death until he comes. They also were devoted to another thing. They were devoted to prayer. In prayer, the early church, if you read through Acts, if you're reading it with us now, be looking for all the times they prayed. And when they prayed, they proclaimed God's power. When they, when they prayed, they, they asked for God's blessing. When they prayed, uh, they sought God's provision. But things happened. In Acts chapter 1, uh, Jesus said, hey, don't go anywhere. Uh, stay together up here and, and pray. And when the Holy Spirit comes on you, then you move. And the Holy Spirit came after prayer. In Acts chapter 4 and chapter 16, they prayed and an earthquake happened. The world was shaken by the power of God. And then evangelism took place and people uh, accepted Jesus as their Savior. In Acts chapter 9, this woman named Tabitha was dead and they prayed and she came back to life through God's power. In Acts chapter 12, Peter was in prison. He was, he was on lockdown and the church in another location was praying. And all of a sudden, Peter was released and God's power was shown plainly. In Acts chapter 28, the people were praying for someone who was sick, and they were made well. Guys, when God's people pray in the name of Jesus, amazing things happen. So let me ask you, are you praying? More than just for your children to be safe, are you praying for the gospel to go out? Are you praying just more than your needs to be met, that that people that are hurting around the world would be healed? Are you praying? Because if if we pray in Jesus' name, amazing things happen. So the early church, they grew out with the gospel. They grew deep with a devotion to God. This is discipleship. There's one more thing that we're going to focus on the early church did as well. The early church grew young by sharing God's promise with the next generation. Look back to Acts chapter 2. Peter just preached the sermon, and they said, hey, what should we do? Peter says, repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
So there's two promises there. Your sins will be forgiven and the gift of the Holy Spirit will come. He says, this promise is for you and your children and all those who are far off. That's us. That's always for that next generation that hears about faith and they receive it. Uh, that, that is up to us for them to hear. But it, the promise is for everyone that will ever hear about Jesus. It is for us and the next generation and the next generation. And I want to commend this church has done a great job of sharing the promise of Jesus with the next generation. And it's not going to stop on my watch, on your watch, that we uh, stop sharing the promise of Jesus with the next generation. In fact, we're going to increase it. The early, the early church was good at it as well. They were always willing to share it with the next generation. In fact, I think of two stories in the book of Acts where someone within a family received Jesus. And, and that same night, the Bible says they went home to share with their whole, whole household. And all of them were baptized that very night. You talk about being willing to share quick. I love it when families get, it clicks in their minds and they, they're like, hey, we're, we're all going to give our life to Jesus. We're going to be made new and we're all going to do this together because we've shared the truth. That's how the church really begins to explode. It's important to share it with the next generation. You may have heard this statistic before, but did you know that 80% of people who ever come to accept Jesus and be made new do it before the age of 18? So that tells us if you're 19 or older, only 20% of people who ever accept Christ do it in those age groups. It's so important that we share Jesus when our children are young, when they're, when they're in their teenage years, for them to make that commitment, and then we help them grow beyond that point. I wonder how many of you here are 18 or younger. Raise your hand with confidence. 18 or younger. There's quite a few in the room today. This is our target audience and them and their friends to share the love of Jesus. You're like, Tyson, I'm 88. Are we, are we chopped liver? No. If you, haven't, if you don't know Jesus, let's, let's get you baptized today. You're part of the one percenters. It's time to go. We're, we're, we're all to be faithful to Christ. But, but the, the greatest opportunity to reach someone for Jesus is when they're young. The early church was great at this. The apostle Paul ministered to young men like John Mark. We'll hear more about him later this month. Barnabas, Timothy. People that often were overlooked by others. And Paul's like, man, I want to invest in you. Here's the cool part. He didn't only go to these young men and say, hey, you need to be saved. He says, why don't you join me in this uh, sharing of the gospel? Why don't, you, why don't you come and tell about God's promises to your friends? And John Mark and Barnabas and, and, and Timothy were a part of God's team. They also involved young ladies like Lydia and Priscilla. To not just be people who sat back and said, we're part of the church and sat in the pews. These women got out and led for Christ. They were empowered not only to be saved, but, but to be a, a voice to the next generation and the next generation and the next generation. And that is what God's calling you to do. To be a voice to this next generation. To teach them, to lead them, to train them, to mentor them, to help them trust Jesus. Years ago, the church did that for me, and I'm so thankful it started at home with my mom and dad, my grandparents. But I knew at a very young age that Jesus loved me enough to die for me. And I knew at a very young age also that I was a sinner that needed to be saved by grace. I can remember going to Sunday night church, uh, and I would sit in this little, this little class around this table, a kidney-shaped table, where the teacher kind of had this little insert within the table, and we sat all around her. Anybody remember those tables? And, and she would sing songs like, Jesus loves me, and 
Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and my God is so big, and, and we did that mainly. But the, time and time again, there was this reminder that God loved me. And at a young age, I accepted salvation through him, and I repented of my sins, and I was baptized. And then you know what the church did for me? They helped train me. They helped me grow deep. And they began to say, Tyson, we want you to be a part of, of the ministry. It, it, it's not just uh, the older people, the leaders that have been here forever. We want to entrust you. And, and even as a high school, I began to preach at another little church. And then I went off to Bible college, and I continued to be trained. That doesn't have to be your path, though. What we need to continue to do is empower people not only to be saved, but to be servants of Christ wherever we live, whatever we do. And they allowed me as a young man to be part of the kingdom. And I began to share the promise with others. Your story may be very, very much the same or it may be completely different. You may be here today and you're significantly older than I. And no one's ever told you this today. That God loved you and died for you. No one may have ever said you can be a part of the team. But that's what we need for the church to grow. People to receive Jesus and then join with us in sharing his promise. By growing out, growing deep, and growing young. Over the next three years, this is going to be our focus, unless God tells us something completely different. We believe we're going to follow the example of, of the early church and explode beyond these walls, beyond uh, the walls of even Bond County, to make an impact for Christ around the world. God, nowhere in Scripture, calls a church to be stagnant and just, and just survive. He wants us to thrive, and you can be a part of that, and there's no greater thing you could ever be a part of. Maybe you're here today and you realize you've never accepted that new life in Christ. And you're thinking, what do I need to do? Well, I'm going to tell you what Peter said again. Repent. That means turn away from your sin and say, I've sinned and I need to change and be baptized. And that's the only way to be part of the church. You can come here forever. And we're going to be your friends. We're going to be in, in fellowship together. But the only way to be part of the kingdom of God is give your life to Jesus and may, be made new in him by joining with him through repentance and baptism. If you need to make that decision today, and we invite you to do so, would you stand? Father in heaven, as we sing this song of praise and glory and, and decision, I pray that we would make decisions to grow out, to grow deep, and to grow young. Lord, if someone is here today, no matter what age they are, let them grow young in you by being reborn and made new. Lord, that's the most important thing beyond all of this. And then help us all to follow the example of the church in Acts and explode for you for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have a decision to make, please come forward. If, if you just need prayer today, Dee and I would also just very much enjoy to pray with you. But know that God is going to do something amazing among us, but it starts with each and every one of us. Let's sing.